Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 38. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss philosophy, psychology, and science, with an emphasis on the fact that we have a free and purposeful mind that can lead us to meaningful action for ourselves, our families, our communities, our nations, for the world. Please follow the Cunning of Geist Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. And you can follow me on Twitter also at Cunning of Geist. In this episode, I will be exploring the practical importance of studying philosophy. Specifically, why recognizing the rationality inherent in our minds is of immense practical importance and what unique benefits Hegel offers along these lines. So let's get into it. Now, oftentimes when my friends hear that I'm doing a philosophy podcast, they, they'll ask me, well, what is the benefit of, of philosophy? How can one use it in one's everyday life? How do you use it every day? And it's not that they're asking how one can use rationality in their life, but it's more a question of their lack of understanding of philosophy and just what, what benefit it can provide. Many people think that philosophy is just thinking about thinking. And if this is your narrow definition, it can lead to uh, sort of a lack of meaning in, in, in philosophy. Some people think it's just contemplating one's navel, as we used to say back in the, in the 1960s. So what good does, does thinking about thinking do? Does it have any practical or pragmatic uh, benefit? Now, another related question I get is when people hear that I'm studying Hegel, they, uh, they say, well, just tell me what Hegel's about. Give me a short, quick synopsis of what, what Hegel taught. And they really want me to give them a soundbite to encapsulate all of Hegelian philosophy in 25 words or less. And that, that unfortunately, is the world we live in, in today. It's a world of very short attention spans. And this is people just want to get a, you know, just one bite of what Hegel is. And it's really hard to do. It's impossible. We've talked about this a lot in the Hegel study group. You just can't reduce Hegel to a Twitter tweet of 280 characters. And also, I think some of the reason for asking this question for the, the quick soundbite is they want to get an immediate identification on, on Hegel, the way we categorize everything today. You know, I've had, I've told people you can't really summarize Hegel quickly, and they'll immediately pull out their smartphones, they'll Google Hegel to get a quick answer on Google. And it's it's interesting. I think they're looking for as well. Is this guy? Is he on the right or is he on the left? Is he a religionist or um, an atheist or is he an Enlightenment thinker or what? And it's interesting. Every time somebody's done this, uh, they don't get a clear identification right away, and they look back at me and kind of say, "What?" And uh, so they say, "Okay, now I think I may understand why you can't give a quick soundbite." Now, getting back to the the purpose of this episode. What personal or societal benefits is there to philosophy? I've touched on this in previous episodes, but I want to focus this entire episode on just this subject. To begin, I want to do something a little bit differently in terms of the format. I'm going to start with my conclusion, and then I'm going to take you through the process of how I got there. And my conclusion is this. 
It is through philosophy that one can become convinced that mind, rationality, underlies everything. It is the foundation of the cosmos. It is at the bottom of it all. And we, as human beings, have the ability to access this mind. It is part of us as human beings. It's not something that's other than us, outside of ourselves, that we have to get in contact with. It's actually getting in contact with something within us. It lives and fulfills itself through us. And this is very important. Now, some may call this God, if you will, but the term God is so loaded with different meanings that I prefer mind or rationality, geist, you know, I think that's a, that's a good term. Now, it's important that this is not just a matter of faith, this, this belief in, in mind. It, I believe it is a warranted belief. And we discussed the, the, what is a rational warranted belief back in episode 35, is belief in spirited, spirit warranted. And what does this mean? It, if rationality is the underlying basis of the world, it provides a meaning to the world. The world is therefore not purposeless. We're not just random beings here trying to figure out the best way to proceed. There's a reason why we're here. And this can give us comfort. And more importantly, it can give us purpose in our lives, a practical purpose in our lives. And this, in turn, will essentially make the world a better place. Now, what's important here, though, is and what I want to focus more on is it's not just all philosophy that does this. Philosophy can be all over the map. I'm talking specifically here about Hegelian philosophy. It gets you there. It delivers. So what does it mean that mind rationality underlies everything? It means that mind rationality logic comes first. It is the foundation, as I say, of all and everything. It's not just the result of some weird evolutionary development that occurred within some large ape. It's not something that just randomly appeared through a genetic mishap. Well, it, it did suddenly appear. I'm not arguing with that, but the foundation for this appearance was pre-existing, I believe. And as I've said, I'm not arguing against evolution. I've said this many times before, but I'm just saying that there's more going on here than blind, random, meaningless mutations. Same thing with life itself. Life did not just randomly appear in some molecule or chemical by accident a few billion years ago on Earth. Well, again, life did actually suddenly appear, but the foundation of this life was pre-existing. And again, I'm not arguing against primordial chemical formations here, just that there's more going on. Now, a key thing which Hegel brought out is that this underlying condition of mind is not something that is outside of nature directing things. It's within nature. It's part of nature. It's what nature proves to be. And here's the key part. It is unfolding in nature as part of a historical process, and we have a role to play in this historical process. Okay, that's my overall conclusion. Now let's get into the details of how, how I, I got there. Now, in the title of this episode, I refer to three questions, which I'm going to attempt to address. First, why philosophy? Then secondly, why reason? And thirdly, why, why Hegel? Okay, first, philosophy. What I'm saying is that it is important to study philosophy because it is more than just thinking about thinking. Uh, now, philosophy probably came into existence when people started thinking about the big questions in life, such as why are we here? What is our purpose? How should society best be organized? What is moral and ethical behavior? These are all big questions. 
And the first two in particular, why are we here and what is our purpose? These are very central to philosophy. It's something that every philosopher and also every four-year-old child ponders. So philosophy is an important role. Again, it's not just thinking about thinking. It's thinking about big stuff, big questions, big boy stuff. And just a word here about religion, though, and the difference between philosophy and religion. Religion provides answers to these big questions. I'm not denying that. And does it by means of stories and myths. But it's also a matter of faith, uh, of belief. Religion is not proven. It's not derived from critical thinking as is philosophy. But, and this is important, I'm not denying this. You can get a lot of truth through myths, through narratives, even if they're fictional. But philosophy is different. It involves thinking these issues through on their own without blindly buying someone else's faith or belief system. And in this process of thinking things through oneself, it can be very important in developing a personal philosophy of life. Now, also, we touched on religion. Let's touch on science. Where does science fit into all this? Well, science is certainly not an art. It's not religion. And I would say it fits under philosophy. And we've discussed here in the past, there is a philosophy of science. And interestingly, Hegel called his great work on logic, the science of logic. And he called his encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia of the Philosophical Sciences. And his other great work, The Phenomenology of Spirit, was originally going to be called Science and the Experience of Consciousness. It's interesting. And for Hegel, science is not just natural science, but it includes consciousness as well. And by science, Hegel meant that the, that the discipline is subjected to a rigorous, articulate, systematic, and logical process. And the only difference between Hegel's science and science of today is that he included mind and consciousness in, in his science, where today what mind is, is unclear. And for science today, it's known as the hard problem of consciousness. And this is basically due to the gross materialism that encompasses so much of science today. We've discussed this before many times. And we'll get back into it, I'm sure, in a future episode. So to summarize, this is why philosophy is important. It gives a systematic and logical way to look at life, ourselves, and society. Now, on to rationality itself and why it's important. It can seem today, in today's world, that there's little respect given to rationality. Um, there's certainly a, a belittling, if not a downright attack on a lot of rationality. Now, it's hard to say when this attack on rationality began, but one can certainly look back to Nietzsche. He famously stated, quote, no, facts is precisely what there is not, only interpretations, end quote. He stated that the world, quote, has no meaning behind it, but countless meanings, end quote. And he did not believe that absolute truth could be found anywhere. He stated, quote, all interpretations of the world are false, end quote. And even more bluntly, quote, there is no truth, end quote. Now, for anyone that studied Nietzsche, and I've done a bit of it, he said a lot of things. And sometimes you can find contradictions from where he, what he says here and what he says there. But he's very clear here in these passages. So if, if there's no real truth at all, can there be true rationality? Let's move forward, and some accuse uh, postmodernism of also arguing against pure rationality. 
They see in postmodernism a belief that knowledge claims are based on value systems that are socially conditioned. And this includes science and rationality itself. Quote, if all truths are equal, who cares what science has to say, says Marcel Kuntz in his article, The Postmodern Assault on Science. The abstract for this article, interestingly, states, quote, postmodernist thought is being used to attack the scientific worldview and undermine scientific truths, a disturbing trend that has gone unnoticed by a majority of scientists, end quote. Now, th- this trend has some pretty deep roots, um, this anti-rationalism. And we discuss this in detail in episode 22, Group Ethics versus Individual Morality, Hegel and McIntyre. And we discussed McIntyre's concept of the emotivist self. Allow me to quote McIntyre. Quote, The specifically modern self, the self that I've called emotivist, finds no limits set to that in which it may pass judgment, for such limits could only derive from rational criteria for evaluation. And, as we have seen, the emotivist self lacks any such criteria. Everything may be criticized from whatever standpoint the self has adopted, including the self's choice of standpoint to adopt. It evades any necessary self-identification with any particular contingent state of affairs. It has no necessary social content and no necessary social identity. It can then be anything, can assume any role or take any point of view, because it is in and for itself nothing, end quote. To put it simply, to the emotivist self, it's my feelings that count. I use rationality only to defend my feelings. One can argue that facts don't care about your feelings. But the counter-argument to this is ala Nietzsche, uh, but there are no facts, only interpretations. So we started off by discussing the need for philosophy. But if all this uh, Nietzschean postmodern stuff is accurate, there are no facts. Then what good is philosophy? Is just figuring out ways to elegantly express how one feels? Well, I am here to say that indeed there is rationality in the world. I'm convinced of it. There are, of course, feelings, but there's rationality as well, and we need both. One is not subservient to the other. Both have to work together. It's like Gurdjieff's horse-drawn carriage that we discussed in episode 34, the paternity and the horse-drawn carriage metaphor, Jung, Gurdjieff, and Hegel. We are like a horse-drawn carriage. The carriage is our body, the horses are our, our emotions, the driver is our thinking, And the passenger inside the carriage is our purpose. He, she, they, this passenger, this master, if you will, decides our direction, our aim, where we're going. And all four elements must work together to get where you want to go. They have to work as one team. But for now, let's just focus on rationality and reason. It's a very difficult thing to define. As I've said before, there are a lot of words for this in the English language. But basically... We tend to think of it in both a logical and a sensible way. In other words, if it conforms to correct thinking, then that is the logical part. And if it conforms to what we observe with our senses, that is the sensible part. But the emotivist self calls this first part into question, the logical part. To the emotivist self, there's no correct thinking. There is logic, of course, but it's not tied to anything underneath it, only to the emotions. Is letting the horses decide where to go instead of the passenger inside the carriage. The emotivist self sees no inherent truth, only relativistic truth. Now, here's the problem. If somebody says there's no inherent truth, that's actually a positive statement. 
one holding this belief would say that it is true that there is no inherent truth. But aha, you see, this is a contradiction. The point is, you can't use reason itself to undermine reason. This implies that reason itself is something fundamental. For example, Nietzsche said that all facts are interpretations. If all facts are interpretations, then this is just an interpretation of his, not truth, and it may be wrong. And if everything he says may be wrong, then why read him in the first place? Now, I don't want to pick on Nietzsche here. As I said before, he says a lot of things, and he, he can contradict himself or appear to contradict himself or express something differently in a different context, in a different work. And, and we just accept that about him, and that's what we love about him. But I think his purpose overall was to creatively get us to think deeply about things and not to present some overall ironclad ideology, and he does that very well. But these contradictions show that reason appears to be definitely something fundamental. It is within us. And it's also, and this is important, something we realize is bigger than ourselves. It's not just our reason, but it's reason itself. And this is the key point. It's not our own subjective reason. It's the deeper, more universal reason that we appeal to. It's this universal reason that we hold others to because we, we believe that it's a universal for them as well. It, it, it may be our interpretation of what is reasonable, but we believe that it's, it's more than just our subjective opinion, that it has deeper roots. And this is why I can look at what someone else is doing and, and perhaps say that what they're doing is unreasonable. And they could do the same to me. Now, I must say here that reason is more like a goal or an aspiration than a, than a rule book. And uh, we in society struggle to do what's best and what is reasonable. Our laws are based on commonly accepted reasonable opinions. And using the horse-drawn carriage example, it's almost like reason is the master within the carriage. But it's not just my master, my passenger. It's the same master in all carriages. And this applies to morality as well. As we discussed in the McIntyre episode number 22, true morals rely on an underpinning of, of rationality. If they do not, they just float out in space untethered. Morals then are fleeting, just a matter of one's interpretation. But this is not the case. Reason allows us an objective base from which to say, for example, that slavery is not right or that discrimination based on skin tone or ethnicity is not right. So not just one person's interpretation versus another. These beliefs apply to all, and they're based in reason, fundamental reason. Now, of course, there are plenty of other issues that are not as black and white as slavery and, and discrimination. Um, and we need to work them out through society. And we struggle to work these things out. But that's what we're doing. That's our purpose here. That spirit unfolding itself through history. Now, speaking of history, this brings us to the last section of this episode. Why Hegel? There are a few reasons why I believe Hegel can be so helpful to study. First, he laid out a complete system of mind, nature, spirit, everything. And he was the last major philosopher to do so. Now, I'm just going to take a moment and outline his, his full project very briefly. We've covered this before, but it's always helpful just to review it so you realize that it does encompass everything. First, Hegel identifies three main domains. First, logic, then nature, and thirdly, spirit. And spirit is the world we live in. And it has logic 
on one hand and nature on the other hand is its main components. Now, logic, though, is what is foundational. It is logically prior to nature. Nature is an othering of logic, of pure rationality. Spirit, on the other hand, the third domain, is the sublation of pure rationality in nature. And for more information on what sublation is all about, see episode 36 on sublation. Now, Hegel has a very interesting quote regarding reason, spirit, being the foundation of all and everything. And I'm going to read it now. Quote, there's an old phrase often wrongly attributed to Aristotle and supposed to express the general tenor of his philosophy. There is nothing in thought which has not been in sense and experience. If speculative philosophy refused to admit this maxim, it can only have done so from a misunderstanding. It will, however, on the converse side, no less assert there is nothing in sense and experience that has not been in thought. And this may be taken in two senses. In the general sense, it means that spirit is the cause of the world. In its special meaning, it asserts that the sentiment of right, morals, and religions is a sentiment of such scope and such character that it can spring from and rest upon thought alone, end quote. So Hegel is saying that not only is mind, spirit, the cause of the world, but it's also the logical foundation for morals as well. Without this underpinning, there's no true basis for moralistic behavior, as we've discussed. Now, taking spirit, he, he, this third domain, he divides this into three components. First, there's subjective spirit, which is one's personal psychology, how they view themselves and their thought process and how they process information. Second is objective spirit, which is how individuals then organize themselves into a society, into families, with, and then into society with laws and customs. And the third is absolute spirit, which is a sublation of the first two. And it's specifically how, how spirit comes to know itself, which is really its essential purpose. And it does this, surprise, surprise, in three stages. The first being art, the second being religion, the third philosophy. A key point here is that each of these build on each other. Religion does not replace art, and philosophy does not replace religion. They all remain. So Hegel provides this overall scheme, which literally includes everything. Our minds, nature, art, religion, science, philosophy. Now, a second key thing here, other than the, the, the comprehensiveness of, of Hegelian philosophy, is that his system provides a key anchor in rationality which can be used by an individual for truth detection and seeking uh, correct moral behavior for oneself and for society. As I said, Hegel's morals are not just floating in space untied to anything and different from person to person. For Hegel, there is a rationality that underlies nature. It drives it forward, improving it as it goes through our actions, our trials, our fights, our compromises. And thirdly, this is the third important point, Hegel's system is historical. I've said Geist, mind, spirit is not some entity out there. It is within each of us. It is that master, that presence sitting in the coach. We can't see this present, but he, she, they are there. We each have this presence, the spirit within us, and it is the same presence or spirit within all of us. This, it connects us. And this is the beauty and the wisdom of Hegelian philosophy. Now, there's a fourth element as well. Hegel taught that rationality is holistic, it's relational, process-oriented. We talked about this with respect to the German word Vernunft, reason. 
Spirit is the role, not just the rock, as we discussed in the last episode, number 37. It's not only rock, but the role as well. And here's why this is important. Being relationship-oriented, Hegel's philosophy teaches that every stick has two ends. If there's not a stick, there's no relationship. There can't be two ends without the stick. And this is something very important to keep in mind, particularly in anything that's polarized. Take politics, for example. We're so polarized today with with politics. You know, one side's against the other and vice versa. And the country itself or the the entity is the anchor, though, for this polarization. And if this polarization is taken too far, the extremes can break off and, in effect, kill the body that's supporting both sides. And in political terms, this would be a country committing suicide. Now, this almost occurred in the American Civil War, but it did not. The country held. My take here, though, is that when thinking politically or thinking in any polarized sense, even if you're over on one extreme, it's always good practice to have one foot planted in your party and yet another foot planted in the country as a whole, no matter which side you're on. And this does not mean that you don't fight for your point of view or opinion or party. You fight hard. But it just means to always remember the whole when taking up the fight. Same holds for religion. Uh, I think it's a good idea to certainly have one foot in your religion, your faith, your practices, but also have another foot in humanity as a whole. And that's important. So we've covered a lot here. Hopefully this is interesting and helpful to you. Look forward to your comments. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. As always, all references cited here will be listed at the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. And please tell your like-minded friends about this podcast and share links to it on your favorite social media sites. I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.